Islamic Finance News, the world's leading Islamic finance news provider, this is IFN Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of IFN Podcast. I'm your host, Bindatan, the Managing Editor of Islamic Finance News. Now, the world of offshore finance is shrouded in mystery and controversy, but offshore finance remains a popular choice within the Islamic finance community, as they do offer a host of attractive incentives, including ease of issuance and tax favorability. Now, in today's show, we speak to Ayman Khalik, the co-leader of the Middle East practice of global law firm Morgan Lewis, also the winner of the IFM Best Offshore Finance Law Firm of the Year 2021 award. Ayman helps us understand how these asset classes evolve within the Sharia finance space. So firstly, congratulations on winning the IFN Offshore Finance Law Firm of the Year 2021. It's definitely a most deserving win. Um, the law firm has worked on many transactions, you know, including supporting Warba Bank to migrate its existing Islamic funds to a massive structure. You know, you've represented MBK Capital Partners to structure and form an Islamic private credit fund in Caymans Islands, amongst many others. Now, Ayman, from all the work you've done over the last year or so, uh, could you share with us some of the most significant and exciting deals and tell us how are they significant and what do they say about the global Islamic finance industry? Absolutely. Thank you so much for um, the work that you do. I mean, we've been partnering with IFN for a number of years now and, uh, you know, we support your mission and the work you've done throughout the world. Um, so for us, I mean, the use of offshore financial centers is something that has become an intrinsic part uh, of, of every transaction we do. Uh, and that, you know, extends from your, the usual suspects, such as the Cayman Islands, Channel Islands, BPI, to, to you know, um, the more regulated centers, such as Singapore, Luxembourg, Ireland, and, and, and some others that come up in the context of other transactions due to tax and other reasons. Um, so for us, um, there are a number of interesting transactions, but I would like to, you know, um, maybe place them in two baskets. Uh, the first basket has to do with representing global asset managers who want to target Islamic investors and who have to create the kind of structures that would allow Islamic investors to actually participate in their underlying investments, which tend to be conventional investments. As you know, in Islamic banking, you have two uh, types of uh, limitations. One relate to the sector. So there are some industries that are prohibited and most investment managers can work around that since they also stay away from the vice industry, for example, or financial institutions in most cases. But the, the more problematic one tends to be debt or credit, you know, mm -hmm. where if, if a company is highly leveraged, then Islamic investors can't invest in it. And there are certain ratios that are required in the industry. So the ability to represent global asset managers on those types of investments is, is something that we do fairly regularly. And it's very interesting because each of them has its own requirements. And sometimes their investors have their own requirements. And this is why our representation of a bank like Warburg Bank, uh, for example, is, 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 is one such uh, example and other banks in the region, because those banks are... Um, um, very active investors and have created their own in-house investment mechanisms to capture those investments. And that's what we work with uh, Warburg Bank and others on 
to create their own master investment structure that will make it easier for them as an Islamic bank to get access to those deals. Another one is representation of asset managers who are creating Islamic credit uh, products. And MBK Capital happens to be a case at hand. They, uh, they're, they're, we had represented MBK Capital on funds one and two, which were mezzanine funds, but were mixed conventional and Islamic. So they did two types of deals. Fund three is a credit fund that will only do Islamic deals. So every transaction they do will be structured Islamically in the broader Middle East region. So the reach and some and, and, and they even can access certain deals in Asia. So um, that's like the new, I would say, breed of investment funds that that we're seeing and asset managers. And 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 it's exciting to work with them on, on, on these developments. That's fantastic. So from what you shared, I just want to build on that, you know, from all the work that you've done over the last year or so, when we talk about offshore finance, uh, what are some of the most salient trends or development you've observed in recent times? Are there any sort of innovation, creativity or structuring challenges? What should Islamic finance practitioners take note of? So um, the key thing is offshore financial centers are still playing a key role and are adapting to the industry. The fact of the matter is when you go to the Cayman Islands, by now the service providers are fairly comfortable with Islamic banking products and are willing to work through them. So I I see them as a facilitator and an you know, early adopter of, of, of the type of structures that we develop with the Sharia advisors. So I can still give them that credit. There are also some some uh, uh, structures that had been developed in offshore centers for uh, to service the asset management industry outside the scope of Islamic banking that has proven to be that have proven to be uh, uh, useful in our structuring work for Islamic investors. For example, uh, in, in jurisdictions like Cayman Islands, we have segregated portfolio companies, and in Jersey, the incorporated uh, and Guernsey incorporated cell companies, and those companies allow us to create platform where an Islamic investor can commit money to and then create different portfolios for each investment they want to make without creating a new company. So it's it's a portfolio under the same holding structure, so to speak. So we've been using those, you know, for, you know, uh, Islamic institutional Islamic investors who wish to have a master structure and don't want to create an entity each time they make an investor. So investment. So we created a master structure based on those types of vehicles. The other thing we need to keep in mind is that, uh, you know, regulatory developments that are affecting those centers is effect, are affecting Islamic banks as well. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you now need, you know, the substance rules that have been rolled out have made the products a little bit more expensive. Why? Because Islamic banks need to now basically um, um, appoint uh, directors in the Cayman Islands and, and 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 pay for those directors. Most of them are independent directors. Or appoint their own directors and have some meetings, you know, you know, in, in, in the offshore center. These are new developments that the industry has to adapt to, just like any other industry. And the same will be the case once we uh, have the tax. You know, now that we we have tax developments affecting most countries, with over 100 countries signing off on the 15% low tax ratio that has affected countries like Luxembourg and Ireland. You know, so we need to be aware of that and how it will impact our structuring of the transactions. So with this additional cost, do you think it's 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 a significant enough of a challenge for Islamic finance like transactions or deal making? Honestly, no. Uh, I feel you know the industry has to adapt to it. 
Um, you know, they may complain about it from time to time, but honestly, that's something that will impact the asset management industry globally. And the Islamic banking industry is part and parcel of that global asset management, uh, you know, trend. So we can't play, you know, we have to play by the rules and we have to adapt to it. Um, you know, the creativity of the structures, uh, you know, is one way to get around it, such as, you know, the portfolio structure I talked about, because that's one entity with one set of board of directors that can create multiple portfolios instead of having to create multiple, ent you know, entities each time and appoint multiple boards slash directors. Uh, so, yeah, it adds to the cost, but given the size of the investment, I don't think it's, it's going to be... Um, substantial. The other thing is we are now comfortable with more asset classes being considered Sharia compliant or where we have structures that would allow us to bring in Islamic investors into them. In the past, you know, it was limited to private equity. There was not a, a standard structure, but I would say now there are broadly accepted structures, two to three, that we can apply for all private uh, uh, assets. Um, such as private equity, real estate, venture capital, although venture capital tends to be easier because there's no debt. We also have structures for credit funds, uh, secondary funds, fund of funds. Uh, of course, hedge funds are trickier, so they require bespoke solutions, but at least we are now at a place where we feel we have the structures and we have deployed them heavily. And all of this has happened, I would say, in the past two to three years. I've seen more progress in the past two to three years in that Islamic asset management industry than I had at any time before. Okay, that's exciting. So you've mentioned a few uh, offshore centers, you know, from Cayman Islands to Jersey. Uh, I'm just curious, is there like a favorite among Islamic finance uh, the industry or do you have a preferred um, a hub? Um, I wouldn't say it's a favorite among Islamic investors because some of those you know some of those jurisdictions are utilized depending on where the investment is for regulatory mm -hmm. tax reasons so if they're investing in europe there's a good chance we're going to look at you know luxembourg or ireland the u the uk we look at jersey but most us investments still flow via cayman island structures now we're seeing more and more structures in our region, such as uh, the DIFC in Dubai and ADGM in Abu Dhabi. And ADGM in particular has attracted a number of funds because, you know, uh, because of their structure that mimics basically the UK structure, because of the applicability of English law to company formation and company governance, and because the government is behind it. And 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 there have been some investments by sovereign wealth funds in Abu Dhabi through the Catalyst Initiative and others in those entities. So there is some drive, you know, a strong drive to support ADGM and the IFC, but more so ADGM lately. And of course, sometimes when you're doing deals in, in, in certain jurisdictions in Asia, we still need to go through Singapore uh, or Hong Kong. And for Malaysia, we still go through Malaysian structures because again, of the nature of the investments and where they're located. So that is the key driver. Uh, it's, 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 it's a key driver over the wish of the Islamic investors because Ultimately, that's in the best interest of the deal. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, what is your outlook for you know Islamic offshore finance um, over the say like for next year? Um, I mean, uh, very positive. Uh, the pipeline mm -hmm. is very, very positive. We have more banking institutions in the region who have reached out to us who want to set up master Islamic investment structures so they can deploy money quicker. We're seeing more investments into the real estate and technology sectors in particular and healthcare to some extent in the US and other markets. And we're seeing 
Islamic funds being created in the region, but with the definition of the region having been expanded. So Middle East and North Africa, now we're seeing like a basket for Asia that could be 20% of the investment, which in the past we wouldn't see. Or for Africa, sometimes 20% of the of the investments raised. So so that's another trend we're seeing, um, you know, in terms of fund formation. What can we expect from the lawful Mogulimis for the coming year? Ah, uh, it's it's been you know it's been interesting times for for all of us, right? Service providers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as a law firm, we are, you know we have between lawyers and staff over four thousand individuals. You know, their safety and health is our number one priority. Uh, so we navigated, you know, like you know the events of the last eighteen months uh, as carefully as we could, just as many other law firms did. But we we tried to also focus on the wellness and mental health of everyone involved. This is something that our firm takes very seriously, and 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 it showed in even the rankings of our associate satisfaction, what have you, because after all, I mean, you know, not having day-to-day interaction with people means that you may lose sight of, you know, some things they're going through on a day-to-day basis. You know, uh, you, when you see someone in an office, it's different than when you don't see them at all. So we're trying to to take this into account, but also take into account developments in terms of striking a balance between being in the office and working from home and the flexibility it offers. And luckily, our investment in technology has allowed us to do that. We continue to be focused also um, on pro bono. Pro bono is very important for us. Every lawyer is expected to hit certain targets in pro bono. And especially in our region, we've we've actually, in most cases, we've, we've managed to do double or triple that. So, um, for example, I mean, of the 2,100 lawyers we have in the firm, 100% have met their pro bono challenge. Wow. Mm-hmm. So that's, and, and, and our focus has has grown to sustainability and, and, and finding ways to support, you know, these kinds of initiatives that, that you know, move the needle uh, for children, for minorities, and and that's you know for and 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 that overlaps with our diversity uh, drive and our DNI investment and commitment. Um, you know we have number of affinity groups and networks. Um, we encourage our lawyers to you know to get involved in it. We launched our mobilizing for equality initiative uh, last year, especially after the George Floyd uh, incident. And we that 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 initiative consists of 14 working groups, not one, you know, like or two. It's 14 working groups, hundreds of lawyers in, and staff involved, and um, you know we've collaborated on 42 client projects in under the DNI initiative, uh, and donated over a million dollars to it. So it's it's part of our DNA as a firm. I mean, I I consider us you know to be a firm that has its eye on the pulse uh, or handle you know finger on the pulse. And and that that you know takes these what what's happening around us seriously, and I think the pandemic has allowed us to really focus on the overall ecosystem that lawyers operate in, and the world we live in. So, uh, you know, I think these are the more exciting things to focus on. And in parallel, we are we are we're performing strongly as a law firm. Uh, we've been very profitable. The last years have been, two years have been our most profitable ever. And uh, thankfully, so in parallel, we're investing on on the wellness, on our diversity initiatives and, and giving back to our communities. Oh, that's fantastic. Thank you so much, Ayman, for, you know, spending, taking the time from your busy schedule to talk to us. I'm really looking forward to see what the firm um, will bring to the table next year um, and all the best for your future endeavors.
Thank you, Vinita, and thank you for the IFN and everyone at IFN, and 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 uh, we hope to work with you um, again and again over the coming years. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you for listening. For more discussions on the Islamic finance industry, log on to www.islamicfinancenews.com. You can also listen to IFN Podcast on your favorite platforms, including iTunes and Spotify.